Okay, well, good morning, and um, welcome, and it's good to be with you again in uh, sunny Beckles, which it is sunny today, which is nice. Um, I was with you a couple of months ago, was it a couple of months, end of August, I think, and um, yeah, it feels, yeah, a lot's happened since then, but um, it is good. Can I lower this down slightly as well? Is that all right? Sorry. I I don't want to do it myself, because I know I'll break it. Perfect. Thank you very much. Now I can see over there as well. Hello. Nice to see you all. Um, I want to start this morning um, sharing a little story, actually, and uh, I have permission from my wife to, to share it. Um, <laughs> a number of years ago now, I used to be a head chef and, um, in restaurants in Norwich, and uh, it was a Saturday evening, and I remember it well, because right in the middle of service, when you're trying to kind of dish out sort of 60 covers worth of people, and it's your busiest time of the week, busiest time of the night, the phone goes, and it's Jean phoning me from our home in Norwich where we were renting a friend's house, actually. And, uh, and there was a panic-stricken Jean on the end of the phone as she told me in the middle of my Saturday night that, um, that she had taken my electric drill and decided to put a picture up in our hallway. And um, Jean, by her own admission, would not say she's the most experienced DIYer, and proceeded to drill into the wall, as you do, to put a picture up, and water proceeded to come out of the wall. So I got this phone call saying, Toby, the downstairs is flooding and water's kind of pouring out of the wall here. What do I do? And I'm in the middle of service as a head chef and I can't remember what I said, whether I was gracious. I was not a Christian at the time, so I have no idea how I responded to her. And um, we got it fixed up and so on, but I remember the person who came round to sort it all out and obviously turn the water off is the first thing you do, just in case you're wondering. Turn the water off. Um, someone came around and they said, you, you are very, very fortunate, because if you'd have sort of drilled like the tiniest bit to the right or the left, they said you would have had to knock sort of part of the front of the house down in order to repair this problem. Now, in fairness to Jean, it was not a likely place to have a water pipe in the wall. It was an old one, and it, so... Now, the thing is, that might... You think, I oh, paints Jean in a bad light, but actually, I haven't learned my lesson over the years here as a DIYer. I love DIY, we're doing a house up at the moment, and what you're meant to do before you put one of these pictures up is get one of these little electronic devices and scan it over the wall, and it will tell you, are there any wires that you're going to electrocute and kill yourself over before you drill, or are there any water pipes behind the wall before you drill into it? How many of us who know we're meant to do that actually do it every time? Does anybody do it every time? You see, you think I've learned. Well done, Nigel. <laughs> you learn. I don't. And, and, and you think I'd learn th- this stuff over the years with DIY, that cutting corners isn't a great thing. And, and you get all these, like, well, you, you used to have DIY books, but now you get DIY YouTubers, and you get experts who know what they are talking about, and we ignore them at our peril. And men, what are we like with instruction manuals? Is it just me? Or you get an instruction booklet for something, or and you just think, no, no, I think I actually know better. This has got to be... Ha- and surely an idiot can do this. You know, It's not rocket science, is it? How many blokes are like this? And so you don't look at the instructions. You think, I can do this. And you go ahead, and you do it, and then you make a hash of it, and you think, okay, I'll read what the experts say, or what the instruction says. DIY is like that. There are do's and don'ts that if you don't do, result in potential, if not actual, disaster. That's true. 
We've had some people do some roofs at home recently, and they've made a mess of it. Um, and it's a bit of a disaster. And it's exactly the same with life, with our personal lives, with church life. It's exactly the same. There is a way of living well. There are do's and don'ts. And we're going to explore a very simple story this morning that many of you have probably heard a million times. Maybe some of you heard this story as you grew up. There were songs sung around it in nurseries and so on. And so maybe you know it. Maybe you're not familiar to the Bible. Maybe you're new to Christianity. You've never read it. So this is either be kind of maybe very familiar to you or it might be new to you. But we're going to read a story from Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to read from Matthew 7, verse 24. So you can turn to there now. Do you want me to go back to using the other microphone or? I can use, yeah, I'm, I'm easy either way, whatever's easiest for you. I like waving my hands around a bit, but that's all right, don't worry. Okay, the wise and foolish builders. It says this, therefore, everyone who hears these words, and Jesus is relating to everything he's kind of said prior to this in the Sermon on the Mount. Anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down, the floods came up, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Simple little story, isn't it? It, it doesn't get much simpler, really. I mean, anyone can kind of understand this story, and yet there is such a depth to it as well. Jesus had this way of communicating and what he said that carried such weight and carried, in this case, actually such warning as well. These are words to be heeded. It's not a simple story just to kind of be dismissed as a little Sunday school story. Well, that's nice for the kids, isn't it? Actually, this is important for all of us, no matter how long we've been a Christian, to be reminded of. Now, sometimes we, we, we hear people say things like, look, the Bible isn't a book of do's and don'ts. You ever heard anyone say that? No? I have. And, and I know what they're trying to say. They're trying to say, look, Christianity is not about doing things to try and make yourself right with God. It's not based on your own works. It's not based on your do's and don'ts, as it were, that you do. It's based upon Jesus' done. It's his finished work. And that's what Christianity is based on. But actually saying the Bible isn't a book of do's and don'ts, is that true? No. Jesus' words... As far as I can see, when Jesus says here, therefore, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine. Well, what words is he referring to? Like I said, he's referring to the Sermon on the Mount. And when you read through the Sermon on the Mount, you read things like this. Do love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Don't look lustfully at a woman. Don't break your promise. Do go the extra mile. Do not serve money. Don't worry. Do not judge. Do not condemn people. Do forgive others. Do to others as they would do to you. That sounds like quite a few do's and don'ts as far as I can kind of see. 
And so I understand what we're saying when we say the Bible isn't about do's and don'ts. But Jesus does seem to be saying, actually, there is a way to do life. There is a way that this foolish man built his house, and there's a way that wise man built his house, and it mattered how they built. It really, really mattered. Now, these, you know, it's been said many times that these are not divine suggestions, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus isn't suggesting, hey, if you feel like it, this might be a good thing to do. Just like the DIYers who say there is a way to build your house. There's a way to do your roof. There's a way to drill into walls. And if not, it can end in disaster. Now, I also realize that some might react, well, hang on, who is Jesus to tell me what to do? And it's a fair question, actually. And some of that will come out as we go through this story. So there's these two men. They're investing their time, their energy, their money, their finances, their, their lives. They've, they've, they've drawn up their plans. They've maybe got their blueprints for their house. They've kind of gone online. They've gone, put their order in with B&Q, and they go down to B&Q. They get their wood. They get their screws. They get their no more nails. I love a bit of no more nails. Uh, <laughs> holds things up brilliantly. Um, you know, they get all their stuff together to build their houses. They have invested time and energy. They've taken action. And the first one builds his house on the rock. Now, I'm not an expert in Middle Eastern house building, but I have it on good authority that the ground in the Middle East in the summer is rock hard on the surface because there's clay. And that clay in the summer obviously gets baked by the sun. The moisture gets removed. And the first guy goes along maybe with his pickaxe and think, right, I'm going to put some foundations in, gets his pickaxe and whack bang, bounces off the hard clay. At that point, you might think, well, stop there, mate. Build your house on that. But he knows better. He knows that if you don't go below this clay, even though it is costly work to get through the clay, you have to build on the bedrock. If you don't build on the bedrock, it's not going to be good. So he works hard. He toils. He sweats. He, he, he puts effort into it. It costs him time. And then the second man comes along and kind of checks out the clay and, well, this looks solid to me and bangs his pickaxe on it. Well, I don't need to bother going below this, really. And he built his house on the clay. And why not? It's solid, isn't it? it it's going to support his house. They both build their houses. It's easier. It's quick. He might look across the other guy who's working really hard, who's sweating bricks. And he's like, why is he bothering doing that? I'm just going to build my house here on this clay. Every single one of us are building a house. Every single one of us are constructing our lives. Every day, our actions, the things that we do, the way we choose to invest our time and our money, the way we choose to invest our brains and our thinking time, we're building something in our lives. We're investing in something. Same with church. Every day, the way that we go about our lives, we're investing, we're building in something, and, and it matters how we build. Every day we are making decisions, like the, 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 this wise and foolish man. They're making decisions about what they're going to build on. They're making decisions about the material they're going to use. And just think for a minute this week about all the decisions that you have made. Think about some of the difficulties you've come up against this week. Think about some of the situations you've faced this week. 
I wonder what influenced you most in the way that you responded to each of those things. Whose words ultimately have influenced you most this week? In the way that you've responded, the way that you've reacted, in the things that you've said, the things that you have done, the things that you've invested your time in, your energy in. I wonder whose words have influenced you most. Because all of us are shaped by the words of others. All of us are. All of us are shaped by maybe teachers, friends, parents, books, music, um, podcasts, YouTubers. All of us are shaped. There are words everywhere, and all these words have a powerful effect on our lives. They influence us. I remember before I became a Christian that my life, and looking back now, I didn't really realize it at the time, but my life was being shaped by things people said, by their words. It may have been things said to me as I was growing up. One of the things that I was told at school all the time, my best school report actually was when I was four years old. Seriously. That was my best school report. It was full of hope. It was encouraging. It, it, was, it was like, man, I'm on a good course here. From there on, <laughs> it kind of went a little bit like that, really. And one of the, the sort of repeated refrains in my school reports was, could do better. Just could do better, could do better, could do better, could do better. And if I'm honest, those words really shaped me without me really knowing. Could do better, could do better. And so you become maybe a driven person a bit, a performance-driven person, looking for your affirmation from the way that you do things, and maybe it's never good enough. And it might be different for you, but we are all shaped by people's words. And what I didn't know, I was looking, I guess, like everybody else, for something, for someone, someone's words that were both stable, strong, and true to base my life on, and to live life out from, to build my life on, to build my house on. Because what we build on really, really matters. It really matters, as these two men were to find out in the story. Two men. And in the story, Jesus says that this is about listening to him and his words. And it's interesting that both men hear Jesus. What we're not talking about here in these two houses is someone who is not a Christian or not someone who has heard Jesus' words and someone who has heard Jesus' words. That, for me, is quite sobering. He's talking about two people who have heard his words. So there's these two houses... Two men, both heard Jesus' words. Two houses, they kind of look the same. There's nothing in the story that would make us think that somehow the foolish man had used no more nails where she should have screwed things in. Or it was a bit of a bodge job house. There's nothing in the story that would say that. These are two houses that from the outside looking in, you think they were the same. And Jesus has got people in front of him. He's, he's got crowds in front of him. He's talking to his disciples. Two houses. They look the same. Two men, both are hearing Jesus. Both are building their houses. But there's a difference. And there's only one storm that come, comes. Both of them get hit by the storm. The same storm. Even a Christian, not a Christian, whatever, we get hit by storms in life. Things happen. I remember I preached at the beginning of this year, actually, at Norwich um, on courage. And um, I remember saying at the beginning of this year, I said, there are things that are going to happen this year which will take, for some of us, will take our legs out from under us. 
And some of you know the recent news in Norwich that we had of dear Goff, whose daughter Ali went to be with Jesus very suddenly, died. Two weeks after being diagnosed, and you're like, wow, that's taken our legs out from under us. Where do you stand when storms happen like that? Where do you put your feet down? How do you not get knocked over by the wind and the rain and the floods and so on? How do you not? Here the storm comes for these two men. And one night the winter rain comes. It says the the, the rivers started to rise. Rains came down. The wind came in. And you imagine the the men in their house kind of sitting there huddled in. And I wonder if the foolish man maybe started to look at the walls as they started to crack. Or the floor that seemed so solid just started to maybe move a little bit as the clay got softened by the rain. And suddenly this storm that is hitting, this doesn't seem so strong anymore. This doesn't seem so stable anymore. One night on the August the 28th in 1991, a third of an apartment complex collapsed in Jerusalem. 28 families had to evacuate. The article said this, an investigation discovered a sewer line that had leaked water under the collapsed part of the building, which had been built on the loose soil rather than on the bedrock, as is accepted practice. Interior walls buckled, and a fourth-floor bathtub fell into the third floor below. I hope no one was in it. The destruction is massive and resembles that of a major earthquake. Ah, Jesus knew what he was talking about. Fair enough, they might not have had four-story apartment blocks. But the same principle for building in that area in Jerusalem was the same. If you don't go down a bedrock, you're in trouble. And here, water wasn't coming down from above. It was seeping in. It was getting in. And it was causing instability in the building. And it fell down and its fall was great, which is what Jesus says happened to the foolish man. Two men, two houses, one storm, two endings. One stands strong. Now, when you hear this story and we kind of unpack it a bit, you're like, okay, it's just kind of about the storms of life. Actually, there's another layer in this story that I think Jesus was speaking about before even talking about the difficult things that we go to, that happen to us in our lives. There's a loving warning here. There's a bigger picture here. And I wonder if those listening to him or some listening to him would have been thinking about stories in the Old Testament and the prophets in the Old Testament, and one called Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 28. It's likely that this is what Jesus is referring to, because sometimes um, Israel, the people of God, were known as the house of Israel. Yeah? The house of David. The house of Israel. So when the word house was mentioned, it wasn't necessarily that they were just thinking about a physical building. Maybe their minds were taken back to the stories in the Old Testament about the house of Israel and the house of God. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, back in Isaiah 28, you've got Isaiah, this prophet, and he's speaking into the nation of Israel. And the problem with the people of God at that time is they were hearing what was being said, but they weren't really listening or doing it or putting it into practice. And they're hearing it. And uh, Isaiah is saying there's a big problem here because you've got Assyria who are this massive nation who are bearing down on you from the north. In other words, there's huge pressure coming down on you as the people of God. And the problem was Isaiah is saying, look to God at this time. Don't look to other people. And Israel were looking to Egypt. And they were making a political alliance with Egypt to come and help them and to rescue them. 
And Isaiah is pleading with him, saying, don't put your hope in these things. Put your hope in God. Don't put your trust in Egypt. They're going to let you down. It might seem like a solid foundation. But do you know what? When this storm comes, it's going to prove to be sand. And he speak, Isaiah speaks into the nation of Israel like this, that the things that they trusted in to save them would prove to be sand. The things that we, we heard this earlier, we hang on to, that we think are going to rescue us, that are going to make us whole people, to save us, to sort us out, are going to save us. And judgment was going to come, basically. This is what Isaiah was saying. Jerusalem would not stand, but it would fall. And great will be the fall of that house. And when you read through the Old Testament, it was. And so this can be a warning to the people of God. Well, for us now in New Testament... Okay, we're following Jesus. Well, what does the Bible say the church is? The people of God, the house of God. Oh, right. So there's something here for us, not just as individuals when storms hit our lives, but there's something as a whole. There's a warning here for all of us. The Bible says there will be judgment. Judgment will come. A storm will come of God's right judgment against evil in the world. I don't know if you ever chat to people, and maybe you're here and you're not a Christian, and you and 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 you like. If someone says to you, "If there's a God in heaven, and if this is a God of love who is totally good, should He judge all the evil in the world? Should He do something about the evil in the world?" And we go, "Yeah, absolutely." When you look at the stuff that's around, of course God should judge the evil. He would not be a loving God if He didn't judge. The problem with that is that we are part of the problem. The problem with that is my heart's not pure, and actually I know there's evil in my own heart, and therefore I'm saying God should judge me. And Jesus is just saying, look, this matters where you build on in, this, in your life, because one day there will be a judgment. And so quoting Isaiah 28, this passage, Peter, who's one of Jesus' apostles, writes this in 1 Peter. As the scriptures say, I'm placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, And anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. I'm placing a cornerstone, this this foundational stone that was going to be the centerpiece and the structure and supporting everything else. You're looking for something true. You're looking for something stable to base your life on. Ultimately, it's not a what, it's a who, and it's him, Jesus. And you've based your life on him so that when the storm of judgment comes, we're forgiven because we're saved by grace. That Jesus takes the judgment for me. He stands in my place. That's why on Sundays we make a big deal about the cross. It's why we take communion. We remember Jesus' broken body for us. We center our lives. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's to center your lives on Jesus Christ and say, do you know what? He's taken it for me. This storm that was to come against all evil. Well, Jesus has taken it for me on the cross. And I would highly encourage you, if you've got questions about this, ask them. Come and grill some of the leaders here. Ask the questions. Go on an alpha course. It's so important to understand the difference Jesus makes. I have some people ask me sometimes as well about Christianity. They say, well, why do people become Christians when maybe things are going wrong in their lives? Maybe you became a follower of Jesus because actually you're going through a really bad time. And life was really tough. Why is it that sometimes people do in those times? Well, do you know what I think it is? I think it's because they're realizing, do you know what? What seemed to be solid ain't so solid right now. I thought this was solid. I thought I was building my life on something that was going to support me, on something that was going to help me, on something that was strong. 
But right now, facing this storm, it's crumbling. Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) There's nothing wrong in those moments saying, Jesus, I'm going to build my life on you. I need you. There's nothing wrong with that in our lives when we go through it. You may have been a Christian for years, and yet we can subtly start building on other things. Very subtly. And suddenly a storm hits us. And we're like, why was I really putting my confidence in that thing, in that person, in their words, in that thing? Oh my goodness, that's not what Jesus says. And suddenly we can feel it. It's like, Lord, help me to build on you. Help me to build on the rock. Because boy, does he make a difference in the storms of life as well. Does he make a difference when we go through things both personally and corporately as a church as well? If we take the time to listen to what Jesus says and to do what he says, when we hit things in life, you can then walk through them in a way where you you feel the impact of the wind, you feel the weight of the waves, as it were, on your life, but you also feel the solidity below your feet, think somehow I'm standing in this. Somehow I'm not being knocked over by this. Somehow I'm not being wiped out by this. But it only comes as we do what the wise man said, which was listen to Jesus. And what's interesting is that in Luke's gospel, he gives kind of a very practical way of doing this. In Luke chapter 6, verse 47, the same story after the Sermon on the Mount. He says this, this is what the person who who comes to me, hears my words and puts them into practice is like. All right, three things there. Come to Jesus. Hear what he says and put it into practice and do it. So come to Jesus. I love it. Jesus doesn't say get perfect before you come to me. Nail everything that I have said and then you can kind of come to know God. It's totally the opposite way around. It's come to him in our mess, in our muck, with our failures, in our struggles. Come to him. I love it. I love the story actually. Of, there's a story of this guy who is so messed up that the way he comes to Jesus is basically to have a go at him, almost. He's known as the Gedarene demoniac. He's so messed up. He, he's not got a good word to say about Jesus. He's not got, look, I'm kind of vaguely religious and I go to church every Sunday, Jesus, so kind of can we have a thing going on? He actually comes against Jesus. What have you come here for, Jesus? Kind of get away. And there's a, the grace of God there in the way that Jesus responds to this person. That should give all of us hope. That the way we come to, it's not based on the way we come to him. It's based on the way actually he comes to us. And he's come to us ultimately in the cross to give his life for us. And he comes to us with that love and that compassion to say, in your mess and in your muck. And that is what it means to be saved by grace and not by works through faith, which is a gift from God anyway, that somehow he enables us to trust him in the first place. It's all of him that no one can boast. Brilliant. We come to Jesus. Okay, we've done that. Then we listen to what he says. We hear his words. The message, which is a paraphrase of the Bible, puts it this way. It says, these words I speak to you are not mere additions to your life. They're not homeowner improvements to your standard of living. Oh, I like that. These words Jesus says are not homeowner improvements to improve the standard of your living. Yeah, it's not like going to Ikea, let's get some of Jesus' words and put a nice little Jesus quote on the fridge of our life sort of thing. 
these are things that are to be foundational to our lives. They are foundation words, words to build your life on. Now, this is a huge claim of Jesus. We said earlier, who is Jesus to tell us what to do? Really, seriously. Why listen to Jesus and not some YouTuber, PewDiePie or whatever his name is, world's most far, I can't pronounce his name. But you know what I'm saying? It's like, why, not, why Jesus and not this person? Why Jesus not Buddha? Why Jesus not Muhammad? Why Jesus and, and not, um, uh, I don't know, who's that scientist dude? The, uh, um, Brian Cox. Um, you know, why Jesus? Why listen to his words? I and mean, Jesus is saying a big thing here. Particularly in light of the Old Testament when it says, man does not live on bread alone, but from every word that comes from where? The mouth of God. Okay, right, now Jesus is saying, if you listen to my words and build your life on what I say. In fact, if you go back through the Sermon on the Mount, there's a number of times in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. That's massive. What? Are you saying, Jesus, that your words are at least equivalent with the word of God? Yes, that is what Jesus is saying. Oh, right. That's why women are listening to your words. That's why gathering together on a Sunday morning, that's why opening the Bible together is important. That's why small groups and opening the Bible together is important. And, and, and just weekly, just being in God's word, wherever you are, reading, listening, studying, it's good. And in the West, quite frankly, and with the rise of the internet and so on and so forth, we have a wealth of material at our fingertips i mean literally you can access anything and everything to do with the bible very very easily oh man you could listen to the word a lot you could study the word a lot you can have greek scholars at the end of your fingertips a lot you can know everything about the syntax and the all the rest of it about the greek which i haven't got a clue what even means But actually, there's a warning here, isn't there, that we know that Jesus says. I don't know if you've heard the story Pilgrim's Progress. I'm sure you have. That um, Pilgrim's Progress is a very, very old story, about 400 years old now. And it's an allegory of a, a of Christian, this, this man, boy, whatever, who gets converted, becomes a Christ follower, and he goes on this journey through the slough of despond and up the hill of difficulty. And each thing is meant to represent something of the Christian life. And along the way, he has different um, battles and different experiences and he meets different people along the way. At one point he meets, he has to battle self. And self comes against him. The sort of selfish nature comes and battles him. But there's another bit when he's walking along and a chap called Talkative comes along. And Talkative walks along Christian, with Christian and talks a good talk. He knows all the Christian jargon. Oh, he can talk about redemption and reconciliation and propitiation. And he can talk about how the Old Testament law and how Christians are meant to relate to it. He can talk a really, really good talk. But Christian, as he walks with talkative, just thinks there's something wrong with this guy. There's something that doesn't quite fit. And it says this in the book, that talkative thinks that listening and speaking make a good Christian. Talkative thinks that speaking and listening, listening and speaking, make a good Christian. And so he fools himself. And before we, because <laughs> we, we can do this with the Bible, can't we? Maybe you don't. I know I can. 
when I read something, I can think about, oh, someone else. I don't think that's what I'm meant to do first, is it? I think I'm meant to look at myself and think, actually, am I in danger of this? Where am I in danger of listening and speaking? And Am I fooling myself? Because James says this, doesn't he? Don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're fooling yourself. Jesus asks a penetrating question in Luke's gospel. You think, boy, Jesus, what are you saying there? Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I say. You ever read that one? Do you find that challenging? I do. These are people who are doing great things for God, prophesying, it says, healing and all these gifts and all the rest of it. And Jesus is saying, well, why are you calling me Lord, Lord? You're not actually doing what I say. It's a penetrating question. It's a penetrating question. And the key is this. It is put into practice what I say. Yes, there's a love for God's word. And that's right. Do you love God's word? Actually, we're meant to love God's ways as well. It's not just a static thing. I love the Bible. Actually, we're meant to love God with all our heart and all our mind and all our strength. We're meant to love his ways. And this is easier said than done. It is costly. It is like the wise man who is going through the clay at times. And sometimes this is really hard to A, hear what Jesus says, and then B, put it into practice. But I love it, it says he put it into practice. He doesn't say be perfect in it. He doesn't say you've got to get this 100% right all the time. He says just, you know, the phrase, train, don't try. It's not gritted teeth. Well, I'm going to try harder to obey everything Jesus says. That's not how it works. We have to come from this place of grace. We come to Jesus. We're in a place of grace. We're in a loving relationship, not in a dictatorship. That's really important that we practice from a place of grace. I'm totally accepted by God. I'm totally loved by God. I'm his child. And now he is helping me to walk. And that's what it means to put into practice. And there's a few things, a few training principles, if you like, that I just wrote down. One is this. Trust that God knows better when you come to his word. That might sound really obvious. But when it comes to being a Christian, actually, sometimes we can listen to so many other words or maybe think we know better. Just, just read and think, do you know what? I think when Jesus says, forgive, he means forgive. And even forget, I think he means forget. Don't hold it against this person anymore. Oh, that's really hard, Lord. Yeah, it is hard. The cross is hard. But now, Jesus, help me. But trust that God knows better when it comes to direction for your life. What's the will of God for my life? Well, the Bible's got a lot to say on it, actually, without any prophetic words coming or anything like that. The Bible's got a lot to say about what the will of God is. Pray continually, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus. Is it 1 Thessalonians? Oh, Oh, there's the will of God right there. So trust that God knows better, though, in what he says, that that he sees the big picture for our lives, and that goes for our personal lives, but the way we do church as well. That we don't compromise his word, that we take him at his word. We say, do you know what? We're going to do church your way. Yes, there might be ways that appear easier, actually but you know in the long run it's probably going to be like building on sand clay there's ways which are harder building church life that actually will prove stronger in the long run we do what jesus says we, we trust he knows better we ask 
at different times in our lives, what does Jesus actually say? What do I do in this specific circumstance I'm in, this situation I'm in? How do I handle this situation, whether it's a work situation, a family situation, wherever we find ourselves? doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, God will give you fresh stuff out of his word to how to live in your present season. I believe that with all my heart. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. One of the things that I'm trying to put into practice and train in at the minute is counting to eight. Okay, what's all that about? Why is counting to eight a thing I'm practicing at the minute? When it comes to the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus says to the disciples, you've got 5,000 people in front of you, plus women, children, and everyone else, and you've got two loaves and uh, two, two fish, and how many loaves? Five. How many is that together? Seven. So what's counting to eight? Factoring in Jesus. When you feel like you have not got the resources, when you feel like you cannot do this, when what God is asking you to do is ridiculous in terms of what you have yourself, count to eight. That's what I'm, that's what I'm just training myself in at the minute. So every time I face a situation now which seems beyond me, which is pretty much everything it feels, I'm thinking, Lord, okay, count to eight, factor in Jesus, bring it to Jesus, and it's helping me to pray more. It's helping me just to kind of think, no, actually, count to eight today. You've you got this coming up. Factor in Jesus. Bring what you have to Jesus. Let him multiply it. Let him do something with it. Every season of our life, what is God going to give us in his word? To hear his word and put it into practice. And the other thing I say is don't practice alone. Don't try and put God's word into practice on your own. Don't try and kind of do it all yourself. God has put us together with other people. That's why church is crucial to this. That if we're going to hear Jesus' word, if we're going to hear the word and not just study it, but to actually live it out through our whole lives, whether we're a Christian 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, I know we're going to have L plates on us for the whole time. That's the deal. We're going to be learning from Jesus, hearing his words, putting them into practice. And even, and, and again, I just, oh man. You see, we, if... If we don't listen to what Jesus says and do what he says, we will be listening to someone else and doing what they're saying. That's just true. It might be yourself, but you, you are going to live by someone's words. All of us will do that. And Jesus' word is so rich. And when I go through struggles and doubts and fears and all the stuff that can bombard us in life, and you come back to Jesus' words, they're just amazing. Even when we fail, I can do what Jesus says. Brilliant. So Jesus has given provision for when I mess up. And I can do what he says. Well, how is that? Well, the Lord's Prayer. What does it say? Forgive us our sins. And deliver us from evil and keep me from temptation. Oh, forgive me my sins. Oh, right. So I can do what you say, Jesus, even when I've sinned. Yes. I can do what you say in prayer. The Christian life is on your knees and on your feet. On your knees and on your feet. <laughs> That's really what it is. We get on our feet. We try and do what Jesus says. We maybe fail or feel we haven't got the resources for it. We get on our knees. God, forgive me. God, help me now. Help me get back on my feet now. Help me walk this walk now. Lord, oh, back on my knees again, Lord. That's the Christian life. And God will give us grace to walk it and grace to build. And he will give and continue to give you grace as a church. 
to keep building on his words, to keep doing what he says. And he will build something beautiful here in Beckles. He is building something beautiful here in Beckles. And he will continue to do so. God is going to do that. Do you believe that? But it's as we come to Jesus, hear what he says, and put it into practice. Let's pray. Should we stand and the band want to come back up? And we'll end in a song. Lord, we we want to well. We wanna, yeah, we want to build well. I don't know anyone in their life who wants to build foolishly. Lord, we want to build well, and we want to build on what you say, even when it's hard, and even when your words maybe cut us a bit. And it's like, oh, what? That's hard. But we want to hear what you've got to say to us, and then we want to put it into practice by your grace. And Jesus, I, I pray, Lord, for each one of us here for our individual lives first, Lord, that we would be those that continually hear what you've got to say to us, drives us to our knees, say, Lord, would you give us the grace to walk in that way? Would you give us the grace to put that into practice, whatever it might be? Whether it's to offer forgiveness, receive forgiveness, go to someone and say, look, I've just got to have this conversation to do the right thing in the workplace or in home or wherever we find ourselves. I want to pray for the grace, the equipping, the enabling that your word actually brings us, because it does that, to walk the way that you've called us to. And I want to pray, Father, Lord, as, as the church here in Beckles, as they continue to build on your word going forward into the future, I pray that you would build something so beautiful here that would cause people to stop in their tracks and look on and see There's something precious here. There's something good here. There's something strong here. The way these people walk with each other, the way that they love one another, the way that they stick together. And Lord, that people would discover ultimately it's because they've come to you, Jesus. They've heard what you've said and they're building their lives on that. They're putting into practice your words. Give them the grace to do that as a community together. Give them the grace to do it, Lord Jesus. In your precious name, amen.